Uh, today we're going to begin a brand new series here at Big Valley Grace called The Nativity, where over the next five weeks we're going to look at each of the characters found in the typical uh, nativity scene. Most of us have one in our home, right? We've got one in our apartment. Uh, we'll see him out at the mall. We'll see him, you know, on people's lawns or, or whatever. And today we're going to look at the wise men. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking Christmas messages now? Isn't it uh, a little early to be talking about Christmas? I mean, we haven't even celebrated, you know, Thanksgiving yet. And, and you're right. It is a little early. The problem is, is that our culture is forcing me to talk about Christmas early because the culture is already bombarding you with all kinds of thoughts about Christmas. And about 99.96% of them are evil. They're wicked. They're anti-biblical. And you're already being hammered with them now. And a lot of people who name the name of Jesus are being dragged down a rat hole, a rat hole of materialism. And so what I've got to do is I've got to get a jump on this thing a little bit. It is early. And I wish I didn't have to do Christmas messages right now, but I do. Because the, the world out there is just jamming all kinds of stuff down our, our throats. Every year I receive a bunch of Christmas cards that say, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? You get them too? You probably send them out. I, I, I don't know. And it's true. Jesus is the reason for the season. But when you look at how most Christians celebrate Christmas, you'd, you'd never believe that Jesus was the reason for the season. Last week, someone wrote on their Facebook wall, remember to keep Christ in Christmas, <laughs> which is a great thought. We should keep Christ in Christmas. But once again, most Christians have a hard time pulling it off. And it's all because the, the culture around us is just, like I said, pulling us down this crummy rat hole of, of materialism. I mean, Christmas to the world, to many Christians, is all about buying stuff, right? You gotta buy things, stuff. It's the only way you're gonna have a happy Christmas. It's the only way, you know, there'll be joy in your home if you don't go out and buy a bunch of stuff. Even if you don't have the money, just whip out the credit card, put it on, you know, your credit because if I don't have a bunch of stuff, then we're not gonna be happy. We won't have a joyful Christmas. Anyway, so to counteract what the culture's teaching you, I've got to get a head start on it, which is why I'm beginning my Christmas series a little bit early this year. Now, with all this said, um, let's get into the message, all right? In our text that I'm going to read here in just a moment, we're introduced to some people called the Magi or the Wise Men. And as I read this, I want you to keep three things in mind, okay? Number one, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how many there were. But the odds are pretty good that there were more than three. You know, most nativity scenes show three. Even our big paintings up here that, that people have painted show three. The cards that you mail out or the cards that you get normally show three wise men. Well, the, the, the odds are pretty good that there were, you know, way more than, than three of these wise men that showed up in town. Three wise men showing up in town wouldn't have gotten the attention of, of really anybody. Imagine... I don't know, three dignitaries coming down the 99, pulling off on the uh, Brigsmore overpass. Nobody would know. No one would care. The Modesto B wouldn't write anything up. The mayor wouldn't know. No one would know. 300 dignitaries driving down the 99, getting off on Brigsmore overpass. There would have been a front page news. Uh, the mayor would be there, the city council members. I mean, it would get the attention of a, of a lot of people. So as I read the story, you know, th there were more than, than three of these wise men. And that doesn't mean you have to go out and change your nativity scene. Because your nativity scene is going to get worse here in a moment. That's the least of the problems with the nativity scene. It's a neat little thing there. But number two, these wise men were probably students of the stars. I want you to keep this in mind. Because they somehow recognized that there was this weird star in the sky, a, a star that didn't belong, and they seemed to have some sort of knowledge as to what it meant. They knew that that star meant that this new king had been born. In Numbers chapter 21, a man by the name of Balaam gave a prophecy about the nation of Israel. It says this in, in chapter 24. 
It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. And maybe they remembered this, this prophecy. Maybe they had some sort of knowledge of the Old Testament you know, scriptures. Uh, but for sure, they knew something was up. Because when they saw the star, they took action. They knew they were supposed to, to do something. And number three, it took these wise men quite a while to finally get to Jesus. It wasn't like a weekend jaunt. It took them months and months and months, maybe as much uh, as long as a year to finally uh, get to where Jesus was. You see, when, when they first see the star, Jesus was, was a, a newborn baby lying in a manger but when they arrive, he's no longer in the manger anymore. He's at a house. Now, that doesn't mean you got to toss out your nativity scene. we got two of them in our house. But I'm, I'm just giving you some backdrop as to these characters that we see, especially the wise men, which is what I'm going to talk about. In Luke chapter 2, it says this. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in your notes. It'll be on the jumbotrons. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went, verse 3 says, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to, the, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married with and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now I want you to follow this, okay? Joseph was born in Bethlehem, okay? But Bethlehem was basically a little pinhole on a map. And when you got old enough, when you became adult, when you became 18 or whatever, you got out of Bethlehem. You went to the big city to find a job, to, to, to start a career or whatever. You didn't, you didn't necessarily hang around in Bethlehem. So Joseph had left. He didn't live in Bethlehem anymore. But once the king issued this decree, everybody who was from Bethlehem had to come back to Bethlehem. Which, which is why there was no room in any of the hotel rooms or the bed and breakfasts or, you know, whatever. The town was jammed up full of people because everybody had made their way back to Bethlehem for this um, census. And so the only place that Joseph had to take his wife was, you know, the, the stable kind of a deal. But as soon as the census was over, everybody left. They all went back to whatever towns they were from. And probably because um, Mary had just given birth and they were a little concerned about her health and the welfare of the baby and all that, Joseph makes the decision to stay there. But now, because everybody's left, what? There, there's now rooms available. There are hotel rooms available. People have rooms in their homes that are available so when the wise men finally arrive, they don't find him in the manger here. They go to a house, and that's where they find him because the census is now over and everybody has left. That, 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 that makes sense, right? Um, so let's read our, our story in, in Matthew chapter 2. Okay, Verse 1 says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everybody else in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers in religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem. In Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, quote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judea, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, 
Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. Yeah, right. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. He's not in the manger anymore. It took them a long time to get there. When they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and they worshiped him. They worshiped Jesus. If there was ever a moment in history to bow down and worship Mary, this was it. But they don't do that, do they? (laughs) These wise men didn't come to worship a human being. They came to worship a king. And not just any king, the king of kings. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave them gifts of gold and frankincense and and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God told these wise men, listen, don't go back to Herod and tell him you found the child. Don't do that. Just just skedaddle out of here and get out of here and go, go a different route. So a star leads these wise men first to Jerusalem where they met up with the king, then on to Bethlehem to a baby called Jesus. Now, as I've studied this, there are two things that really impressed me about these wise men, okay? Two things that they did as an act of worship that I think we can all learn from them. Now, they're not profound or or anything like that. They're just really practical, okay? Number one, these wise men brought themselves, their bodies, if you will, as an act of worship. Verse 2 says, you know, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Verse 11 says, they entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. Remember, it took these men a, a long time to get there. They had to travel a long way, and it wasn't easy. There were no cars, no trains, no planes, no Marriott hotels, you know, no freeways, no, no rest stops, just camels and a, and a lot of dirt. I've been to Israel many times and rode some of, uh, every time I'm there, I ride a camel. There's this little place we go, and you got to ride a camel for about, I don't know, 50 yards, okay? And, and you know, Two yards into it, you're in pain, okay? Then, then the rest of the 48 yards, it's just like, oh, man, oh, man. And when you finally get off the thing, it's, give me the Motrin. Give me the Motrin, hurry. It's unbelievably painful. <laughs> I can't imagine riding a camel for thousands of miles. And the roads that, that we, that 50 yards is on a road, man. It's on a dirt road. It's all nice and even. Beloved, these men sacrificed a lot of time and a lot of energy to personally, physically come and worship this newborn king. I mean, they could have sent, a, 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 you know, gotten a young buck and wrote a note. Hey, Congratulations. I'm looking forward to meeting you someday in the future. And put it together and gave it to that messenger. And that young guy could have went, found this king, and handed it to Mary and Joseph. And you know what? That would have been special. I think Mary and Joseph would have opened up that letter and gone, wow, this is fantastic. There's a whole bunch of really wise guys, you know, uh, in the West. And and they've sent their congratulations. Nothing wrong with that. But these guys didn't do that. They took the time to pack up their camels. They took the time to get their camels ready. They said, you know what, we're going. We're physically going to go and we are going to worship that newborn kid. Now, with this in mind, I've always been amazed at the excuses people find not to physically show up here on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning to, 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 to worship Jesus. The weather. <laughs> last night, this place was, a lot of people here last night. It was unbelievable how many people were here. But there were some people not here because of the weather. It, these little, 
it was, it's water. <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't, I can't go worship. <laughs> There's just waters coming from the sky. I'm just too busy. It's a busy season right now, you know, my work, my job, and all that. I'm just, I'm too tired right now. Just, I'm tired. It's too hot. What's wrong with the church? Can't get the air conditioners working in there? I mean, I'm always, during the summer, man, it's just like, it's just so hot. It's so cold there. I've got to bring my jacket to church. Countrymen, can't you get these air conditioners working right here? I can't go and worship Jesus when it's cold. Hmm. The music's too loud. Man, it's too loud. Not loud enough. I like, my, I like music loud. I don't like the style of music. In fact, worshiping the Lord or worshiping the Lord the way I want to do it. And that's basically what you're saying when you... When you you have your styles that you like. I ain't going to church there. They got them crazy drums. They got, they got them guitars. So I'm not going to go worship Jesus because they don't do it the way I want it done. <laughs> That's just bizarre. The seats, they're bad. Haven't you noticed there's stains all over them, man? And we've had them so long, people have sat on them, and the backs are, you know, anything. I can't, how, do you, how am I supposed to worship the Lord with those crummy seats you guys got there at the church? <laughs> the parking. Oh, man, I drove in. Let me tell you what happens. We see it. People will drive in, and if they got to park like five or rows out, you know what they do? Worshiping Jesus, the one who forgave you of your sins, I got to park five rows out. <laughs> the pastor. Yeah. Now, now that one could never be, right, Rob? I mean, everybody loves the pastor. There isn't anybody that ever comes in here and says, what is with that guy? He's just crazy. He's nutty. I, oh, I got you. Take that one off. How about this one? Do I go worship Jesus or do I let my kid do this? Kick a soccer ball. For some people, they just feel unworthy, so they don't come. They went out on a Friday night, and just their flesh got the better of them. Saturday night, you know, there's some people that aren't here t today, right now, because last night, they, they just did something sinful and crummy, and they just feel unworthy, and so I, I don't want to come. Let me ask you, do, do you think any of these things entered the minds of these wise men? Maybe they did. I don't know. They were human. Maybe they did. I mean, they could have said, you know, the, the weather's really bad right now. Maybe we ought to just wait a few weeks or whatever until it clears up. They could have said, you know, right now we're pretty tied up with our businesses, but as soon as, you know, we get a little break in our schedules, then we can make the trip. They could have done that. Maybe they thought about that. They could have said, you know, I don't like the location of that star. It looks like it's over that little town of Bethlehem. And I heard that they don't really have a lot of really great hotels. And they don't have a lot of great restaurants. You know, they don't have a lot of things for us to do while we're there. Maybe we ought to just wait until maybe the baby moves and we'll pick them up in Egypt. They got cool stuff in Egypt. These men could have come up with all kinds of reasons as to why they shouldn't physically make the journey to worship Jesus, but they didn't. I think it ran through their minds. I think they were human, but they didn't. They made the trip. They made the trip because they knew that this was a king. They knew he was worth it. Somehow they knew he was worth it, and here's the deal. Listen to me. They really didn't know who he was. I mean, they, they had an idea, but, but they really didn't know who he was. And we do, right? 
I mean, we know who he was. We know he was the second person of the Holy Trinity. We know he was sent by the Father to come and live an amazing life for us, a perfect life. We know that he voluntarily went to a cross and gave up his life for us. We know he was put into a, a tomb. We know that three days later he walked out of that tomb to give us life. We know that right now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We know that. They didn't know any of that. And you look at what they did. They physically said, we're going to go worship that king. This reminds me a little bit of what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Paul said, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, your bodies, because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Wow. Now, why would God want your body? I, I mean, why doesn't it say, offer your souls to God? I mean, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Or, hey, offer your spirits to, to, to God. I mean, that just makes more sense, doesn't it? Especially when you have an understanding of your body. It's the headquarters of sin. Paul said, nothing good dwells in your body. This doesn't get to go to heaven. It's, it, it dies. It's put into a pine box and put six feet under the ground. You're going to get a new one of these. And yet here's God who's saying, I want it. I want your physical bodies as goofed up and as crummy as they are. I want them. Why? Why does God want your body? Well, I think it's because if God owns your body... He really owns you. You see, it's one thing to say that you'll give your money to the work of God here at Big Valley Grace, which isn't a bad thing, because you are generous people. Yesterday, you know, we 600 cars showed up here, and we went out and delivered, you know, seven bags of grocery and a big old ham to 600 families. And if every family has, you know, four or five people in it, that's thousands of people that we were able to uh, make sure they had a great Thanksgiving. And on top of that, we help 250 new families here every month through Good Sam. The only way we can do that is because you're, you're, you're generous. You give. Nothing wrong with, you know, giving some shekels as a way to worship. But it's another thing to say, God, I I'm going to give you my body. That you would use it somehow for your kingdom purposes. I'm giving you my body. I'm going to join the choir. I'm going to mentor a high school student. I'm going to walk the parking lot as a security guard. I'm going to work in our children's ministry. I'm going to share my faith with my coworker. You know, I'm going to drive food over to someone's house. I don't know what it is. Beloved, when you offer your body to God, when you say, God, I dedicate myself to you, these hands are now your hands, these ears are now your ears, this tongue is now your tongue, these eyes are now your eyes, this mouth is now your mouth, these are your legs now, God. You do whatever you want to with this body of mine, I dedicate it to you. Man, when you do that, the Bible says that it pleases God, makes God happy. The Bible says this is one of the ways you truly worship God. And these wise men are a great illustration of this. I mean, they had committed themselves, their bodies, to finding and worshiping Jesus. And as I said, they really didn't even know who he was. Not like we do. And one of the things that I pray happens while you're here, I, I, I almost pray this every single week, that somehow whether you come on a Saturday or a Sunday morning, you're over in the venue, wherever you're at, you're in your car, listening at home on the internet, that somehow this is a moment when you come and not just sing a song and, and drop some, uh, an offering in the, in the basket, but this is a moment when you can say, God, here's my life, it's yours, take it. You see, I know what happens on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I, I get it. Sometimes the world can start to drag you down, and before you know it, your, your, your body really isn't being used in, in the proper way. And so, man, a weekend like this, and we come together and we fellowship together, it's a way to say, God, here I am. I'm giving you back my body. You, you use my hands for godly purposes. 
You see, you can use your hands for godly things or evil things. Yesterday I watched hundreds of people, children and adults, use their hands to take these bags of groceries and put them into carts. And some people then took those carts and used their hands to push these carts to cars. And then there were people there who used their hands to take those bags of groceries and put them into the car. And then there were people who got into the car and they used their hands to grab a hold of the steering wheel to take them to a home where they could, in the name of Jesus Christ, deliver food. So you can use your hands in godly ways, or you can use your hands other ways. You can use these knuckles right here to punch somebody in the face. You can, you can use these three fingers, if you will, and put a syringe in there that's full of dope and stick it in your arm, and these three fingers are now being used in an evil, ungodly way, you see. You can use your body in godly ways or sinful ways. You can use your legs to take you around to do the things of God, or you can use these legs to walk you into a bar where you get drunk every night, you see. And God says, listen, I want your body. Don't just write me a check as good as that is. And we're supposed to do that. But God says, I want your body also. Paul said this in Romans chapter 6. He said, don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Isn't that good? And I think we see that in the life of these wise men. These wise men physically wanted to go and worship the, uh, the, the, the king. Now, let me give you four reasons Jesus is worthy of your worship, and I'm just gonna rattle these off to you, okay? Otherwise, you'll be all bowed out of shape because you didn't fill in all the boxes, okay? Number one, Jesus is worthy of your worship because he's holy, okay? Number two, Jesus is worthy of your worship because he's all-powerful. Jesus is worthy of your worship because he's eternal. And Jesus is worthy of your worship because he's the creator, and you can see some of the, the, the verses that give you the underlying theological principles behind that, okay? Beloved, the point is clear, that God is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of presenting our lives to him as a living sacrifice. He's worthy of it. Now, not only did these wise men bring themselves as an act of worship, but they also came with gifts, okay? The wise men brought gifts as an act of worship. Verse 11 says they, that's the wise men, entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Look, look. These wise men came to meet with royalty and they weren't gonna come empty-handed. Now, obviously, these wise men had a few shekels. These were some very expensive gifts. These weren't leftovers. It's not the amount of the gift. It's the sacrifice behind it. And I believe that each one of these gifts had a, had a deep meaning to it. Number one, you had the gift of gold. And gold represented the fact that Jesus was a king. He was royalty. Kings are worthy of, of golden gifts. Revelations tells us that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king. And kings are worthy of gifts of gold. Number two, the gift of frankincense. Frankincense represented the fact that Jesus was pure or that he was deity. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin. He was pure to be sin for us. And the gift of myrrh, myrrh represented the fact that Jesus was gonna die. Myrrh was what they used to embalm a body, and we read in, in John chapter 19, those famous last words of Jesus, it is finished. He wasn't finished, 
It is finished. The, the redemptive work is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. These wise men came to worship a king and they didn't come empty handed. They came bearing gifts. And, and by the way, just quickly, those gifts, when, when the wise men showed up and there's Mary and Joseph and they presented the gifts, they didn't go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you going to do with those gifts? Before I give them to you, I want to know what you're going to do with them. Which is what some of you do. You, you want to control the gift. You don't want the elders making a decision where those gifts are used. You want to control them. Oh, I, 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 I want to give it to this, or I want to go here. And that's not a, that's not a gift. It's kind of like bribery. You don't get this money unless you do it my way. They just came and gave the gifts. Mary, Joseph, well, I don't know what you're going to do with them, but here you go. Now, let me tell you what probably they did with those gifts, what Mary and Joseph did with them. There comes a moment when, when they have to flee and they head down to Egypt, and they probably used those expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to, to finance their trip, to go from place to place to place, buy food, those kinds of those kinds of things. Now, now let me shift gears here for just a moment, okay? I want to share with you something that I hope you, you might consider. I want to share how you might be able to start maybe a new family tradition based on these three gifts that the wise men brought, okay? What if instead of going out and buying a whole bunch of gifts for your spouse or your kids or whatever, you only bought them three? A gold gift, a frankincense gift, and a myrrh gift. And let me tell you how this all came about. A number of years ago, uh, uh, you know, it's Christmas, and, you know, I want Jesus to be the reason for the season. But I was noticing that I was inadvertently causing my children to sin at Christmas. You see, they would have all these presents under the tree. And I'm funny about how we do Christmas at our house, and so we open them up one at a time, and my son would open up a gift. Oh, this is really great. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And, and then my another child would open something up, and they'd give thanks, you know, thank the people who got it for them. And, and the first go around, everything's great. Fantastic. Then the second go around, you know, it's pretty good. And the second go around, they open, oh, thank you, Dad, Mom, this is fantastic. This is great. I'll play with it all. Okay. The third go around, oh, yeah, okay, good. Fourth go around, now they're looking over at their, you know, sister or their brother. What'd they get? Hey, their gift's bigger than mine. I think they, and by the last gifts, they don't even care what they're opening. There's just this fleshly, greedy envy going on. And it's just ugly. And by about 5 o'clock on December 25th, um, uh, keeping Christ in Christmas is gone. My kids are all inflamed with sin. Most of the gifts end up in their closet and they never play with them again. For some, you know what? You, you, you go out and you buy all these gifts and you don't have the dough and January rolls around and you get your visa bill and it's like, <laughs> joy to the world. Thanks, man. Oh, but there's no joy. There's, no, there's none of that, man. You're yelling at each other, trying to figure out how you're gonna, what you're going to cut here and cut there so you can make a payment on gifts the kids were sinning over. Excuse me. That's what was happening in my home. I said, I ain't doing this anymore. I'm not doing it. And so we got online, did a little bit of research. We didn't invent this, but... It's what we decided to do. And so what we, what we do at our home, and you're going to get one of these little cards on the way out. If we run out, we'll have more next week. So don't worry about tracking all the notes and all that. I'm going to give you this card, and it's just got the verse on it that we just read about the wise men seeing the star, and they brought the gift of gold, frankincense, and, 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 and myrrh, and all of that. The gold gift, under the tree, each of my children get three gifts. They get a gold gift, they get a frankincense gift, and they get a myrrh gift. So all my children have three gifts, only three. I buy my wife a gold gift, a frankincense gift, and a myrrh gift. My wife buys me a gold gift, a frankincense gift, and a myrrh gift. And so under our tree, my children have three gifts. And the gold gift 
It's really the expensive gift. It's, it's like gold. And you tell your kids that in God's eyes, they're valuable to him. That in God's eyes, they're royalty. They were made in the very image of God. They're children of the king. And if you're a child of the king, that makes you a princess or a prince. The Bible says in John chapter 1, but all who believe in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. You tell your kids you're valuable to God. You, you mean something to God. And because you're valuable, this gold gift is, is for you. And the gold gift is the gift that they want. It's like a bicycle or, you know, a fishing pole or, you know, wh whatever it is. It's, it's the gift that they want. And our kids will give us a list of some of the stuff they want. And so they get one gold gift. That's it. And then we all go around and we open our gold gifts. And we talk about the fact that the wise men brought gold, a gift of gold to, to the Lord. And you, we all have a gift of gold. And we open up our gifts and, and we have a great time with that. Then they each get a frankincense gift. And frankincense was really um, represents how God wants us to be pure how God wants us to walk in a way that pleases him. How God wants us to, to live our lives in, in a way that brings honor to the Father. You tell your kids that it's important that they grow closer to God. Peter said this in, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that by it you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. You tell your children, listen, God wants us to be like his son. And the frankincense gift is all about your kids becoming like Jesus. It's a spiritual gift. It could be a Bible. It might be a video series about God. It might be a book about God. It might be a book about some great Christian like a Billy Graham or someone like that. It could be a daily devotional. It could be a CD of praise music, a journal. It could be help, uh, you know, helping your grandkids get into our Christian school. You see, the frankincense gift is the gift that's all about you, you becoming more like Jesus. A couple of years ago, I got my wife, as her frankincense gift, a year-long subscription to Ravi Zacharias' ministry. And so once a month, she got the newsletter from Ravi Zacharias and a CD of one of his debates that he may have done. So all of my children, me, my wife, we all have a moment where we open up our frankincense gift. And this gift's all about, hey, let, let's all grow in our walk with the Lord. Let's become more and more like Jesus. Then you've got the, the, the myrrh gift. And by the way, all the things I just said, suggestions are all on this card, and you can get it, as I said, as you walk out of here. The myrrh gift represents something that goes on the body, just like they would have rubbed you know, spices and myrrh on, on the, the body of Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 19, following uh, Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with, you know, the spices and long sheets of linen cloths. The, the myrrh gift is really the body gift. It's something that goes on your body. It could be perfume, cologne, body lotion, a facial, a massage, a coat, bedding, a new outfit, a hat, shoes, or whatever. This is the gift that the kids really love. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, wow, I got a new shirt. Um, it could be a whole outfit. But, you know, it could be in two boxes, you know, a blouse and a, and a you know, pants and, and shoes, or it, it could be a whole outfit, in other words. But the, 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 the myrrh gift is something that has to do with the body, just like myrrh would have been, been used on the body of Jesus. And so um, there are these three gifts that sit under our tree, and our kids know that, that, you know, they have a gold and a frankincense and a myrrh gift. Now, now here's the deal. If you choose to institute this, and we did this a number of years ago, uh, the, it, it's like weaning your kids off a crack. Oh. <laughs> Which tells you the problem, right? Oh. <laughs> I remember going to our kids, and my wife and I sit down and we said, okay, you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do Christmas a little bit different. We're gonna try to really make it special. And so what we're going to do is everybody's going to get a gold gift and this and, you know, and the frankincense gift and the myrrh gift. And, you know, my daughter was like, okay, hold on, Dad, let me see if I got this right. Huh. You're talking about one gift? Yep. Yeah, one gift. Okay, like, like one, as in one. 
Uh, yeah. Like in Uno one. Yeah. You mean like like Three Dog Night one is the loneliest number one? Is that, is that what we're talking about, Dad? Yeah, one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be adopted. Okay, is, there, is there a way for me to get it? And then all of a sudden your children become very, um, uh, they become theologians. You know, Dad, there were three wise men. And if each of the wise men brought a gift of gold, maybe we should all get three. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, my kids were very interested in biblical things. Um, <laughs> it, it, it didn't go over real well, just to be straight up with you. Which was a sign to me I was doing the right thing. That, wow. I have inadvertently I had inadvertently had just created a, a, a mess. And uh, today it's different. Today our kids understand they get a gold gift and a frankincense gift and a, and, and a myrrh gift. And are, are they disappointed to some degree? I suppose they are. Well, they all, they're human. Now what do you do about grandma and grandpa? Look, you don't do anything about grandma and grandpa. Don't worry about what grandma and grandpa do. If grandma and grandpa want to buy a zillion gifts, let them do whatever they want to do. Don't, don't worry about what they do. You worry about what you do in your home. That's all you got to worry about. You start this tradition in your home, and it could be if you're a grandma or a grandpa here, maybe that's what you want to do. And say, so I was in church, and I heard the preacher preach a message. <laughs> there was a, last night, oh boy, last night this young boy um, uh, uh, dad was telling me this, that uh, they go home, they go, they go to lunch, or, or they go to dinner last night, and they're all sitting around dinner, and then the dad starts to explain, unpack this idea that Pastor Rick, I, I think this is a great idea, we're going to start this new tradition, and this boy who's like in third grade said, oh man, I thought Pastor Rick was on our side. <laughs> it's like, I, I've become, I'm going to walk through the halls of the school and stuff, oh, there's that guy, there's Scrooge, that's, that's Scrooge. Where's that guy? Christmas Eve when I invite all the children up and I read a story, I can't do it this year. They're all coming up with sharp instruments. You're the guy. I have a barrier around me. I have to wear a, some Kevlar when I, read, when I read the story this year. Look, I don't care what you do. You know, you're free to do whatever you want to do. You really are but I'm somebody that tries to make things as applicable as I can, and I know many, many families that took this idea, and you can make it you. Craig, you wanna give out two gifts, I don't care what you do. You can do it any way you want. I, I just, I hope that maybe this great little story of the wise men and the gifts they brought might challenge you to think through your Christmas. Just a little bit different. Now all of a sudden when you go out and you're buying, you know, the, the frankincense gift, the, 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 you know, the, the spiritual gift, you're really thinking about it. What do I wanna get my wife? that will help her grow in her walk with the Lord? What do I want to get my, my, my 21-year-old daughter that will help her in this next phase of her life be, be more like Jesus? You see, you're really thinking. And the gifts have a, a different set of, of meaning to them. Now, now, what do you do with the extra money you have? Well, let me give you a thought. You could pay down the debt you already have. Instead of going into more debt, pay down the debt you got. This would be a great idea. Take that money and you and your spouse go on an overnight trip somewhere, just the two of you. I guarantee you that'll be pay way bigger dividends than just going out and spending a bunch of money on gifts. Or you give more money to the work of God here. Might be able to afford to put your students in our Christian school. Who knows what you might be able to do with the extra money that, that you save. Now, as I wrap this up, I just want to quickly look at, at King Herod for just a moment here, just, just very quickly, because there's a huge contrast between these wise men and, and King Herod. Herod was the, the king at the time, obviously. He was the authority. He was the ruler. And when these wise men showed up looking for this newborn king, it freaked him out. I mean, he felt totally threatened by this baby. Somehow, you know, uh, this baby has shown up and is trying to usurp his will. I mean, he's the king. He's the authority. He decides what's right and wrong. Nobody tells King Herod what to do. And anybody who, 
who challenges King Herod has got to go. And so you know what he does? He orders all the babies that are two years of age and younger to be slaughtered if they were boys. Matthew chapter 2 says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and younger. And the truth is, many people today are no different than King Herod. Some of you are no different than King Herod. I mean, you think the same way. I'm the authority in my life, right? I do what I want to do. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm not going to have some God tell me how to live. I'm not going to let some ancient book tell me how to live. As I read about this this week, I thought to myself, I was a lot like King Herod when I, before I gave my life to Christ growing up. I, I, I lived life the way I wanted to live it. I did whatever I wanted to do. I, do, I fulfilled all the desires of my flesh. Nobody told me what to do. The idea that there would be a God out there that I would have to bow my knee to and submit my life to, are you kidding me? I did, I did life my way. Some of you are doing your best to get rid of Jesus. Just like King Herod did. Some of you are trying your best to somehow block him out of your life. You're trying your best to somehow explain away his existence because you want to continue to rule your own life. And we certainly see this principle being played out in our culture, don't we? Just look at what they call Christmas trees now. They're, they're holiday trees. Right? King Herod, in a lot of ways, reminds me of me. And I'll bet for some of you, most of you in here are like the wise men. You've come here today to worship him, right? But I know there are some of you here, you're more like King Herod. You don't believe in him. You don't want to believe in him. You, you, you want to run your own life. And just the thought of Jesus just <sighs> grates against your soul. The Bible says this in Psalm 95, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And this is what I like to do over in the venue and in here just as we end. If you're physically able, would you get down on your knees for just a moment? Let, let's actually do what this says. And those of you that are here and maybe you don't know the Lord, you know what, maybe you just honor me, if you would, for just a few moments, humor me, and maybe go down on your knees also. And this is what I want you to do. If you're here as a wise man, a wise woman, you know the Lord, and you've come to worship him. Why don't you just um, enjoy a moment telling Jesus how much you appreciate him, how much you love him, how much you care about him. Maybe you might pray and say, God, I'd like to maybe start one of these new family traditions in my home. Jesus is the reason for the season. I want to keep Christ in Christmas, and maybe this little illustration I've given you is a, a neat way you could do that. To pray, ask him for help. But probably there's a person or two here over in the venue and you're more like King Herod. You've never given your life to Christ. And God has opened your eyes today of the truth of who Jesus was. He was a king worthy to be worshipped. And if you're here and you'd like to receive Christ and go from being kind of like a King Herod to being a wise man, Wise woman, just right where you're at, if in the quietness of your heart you would just say something like this, Jesus, I get it. And I receive you into my life as my king, as my Lord, as my savior. You are the king. And I want to be like those wise men and I want to worship you. My life is yours. Cleanse me of my sin, Jesus. The Bible says this. If you prayed that, if you meant that, or you said something like that, the Bible says you just received the greatest gift ever, and that is the gift of eternal life.
Yes, the wise men came bearing gifts, but Jesus came bearing a gift too, a gift of forgiveness. If you ask Jesus into your life, he came into your life, and he has forgiven you of your sin. And I'm wondering, obviously I can't see you over in the venue, but if you're in this building and you prayed that, you gave your life to Jesus Christ just a moment ago, would you raise your hand that I could see it? We had a number of people, yeah, right down here in the last hour. Yeah, right here, man, cool. Yeah, just make sure I see it. Yeah, up there in the balcony right here, man, cool. Anybody else? Just make sure I see it. You can look up. This, this is what I want you to do. Everybody over in the venue, everybody stand up here. Everybody stand up. There's a little chorus that we're going to sing together here over in the venue too. But if you prayed that prayer and there were a bunch of hands that went up, it would be really crummy if you just got up and walked out of here and just said, okay, I'm going to go get in line, be the first one at line at lunch. I want you to sacrifice a little bit like these wise men did and maybe make your way into the altar. We have an altar room over in the venue. And meet up with our spiritual leaders, our elders of our church, our pastors, and maybe we could give you your first Bible if you don't own a Bible. And just say, hey, I pray today to let Jesus be the king of my life, and we just want to rejoice with you. I'll send you a little letter. We want to help you learn more about who Jesus was, because he was way more than just a little baby in a, in a manger, obviously. Maybe you're here and you just want prayer for your marriage. Go into the altar room. Your marriage isn't just magically going to get better. But maybe if you go and let the spiritual leaders pray for you, who knows what God might do. Maybe you got a teenager that's gone sideways. Would you let us pray for him? Maybe you got a parent or a grandparent that's gone kind of nutty. Let us pray for you. Maybe you're facing some health crisis. Go into the altar room and let us pray for you. That's what it's there for. Let's sing this little chorus together, okay? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord, for you. the Lord.